My name is Adam, and I am evolving. Evolving Adam podcast. I am uh, really happy that you're here and listening. Today we are going to tackle yet another very safe and easy topic for people to discuss, um, and that's the idea of gender equality. Maybe we can even use that evil term of feminism that people love to throw around. But I'm here with my friend Becca, who has been a big uh, influencer in my life uh, in this area. Hey. There's Becca. <laughs> Becca and I, we've known each other since what you were in high school? I was ninth um, grade. 14 or 15, I think, because that's when I was back at working at the Chick fil A. Yeah, we uh, were working in the Chick fil A in here in Phoenix. So we, we met there and uh, worked together there. And then um, she and her family came to my church. And her family still goes there. Uh, her mom and dad are very actively involved. Her mom's the. Uh, She's the office manager. Office manager. There we go. Oh, as and, uh, as as one little girl said when I started going there, um, she because I taught Sunday school, and uh, a little girl um, s- said to another one, um, "She's Sharon's daughter," and the, the other girl didn't know who my mom was, and she said, "Oh, you know the lady who owns the church." <laughs> <laughs> I will say a lot of people say that Sharon really does is the one who runs the church, so. And there's a lot of, there could be some truth to that. She, uh, she, she, she does a she lot would, of great she things. Would, she would absolutely be, she would not like that idea at all. Right. But she does a lot of really important things. But needless to say, um, her family is very involved in the church and Becca has been. Um, but uh, we don't want to give too much away. So uh, we can get into that a little bit. Yeah, no spoilers early on. If you've listened to the podcast at all, you know that I came from a very, very uh, conservative background. Um my views were very uh, much as you'd expect. Women are subservient. They are at best compliments to men and are the ones who, if someone's staying home, they are staying home. They're, if they want to serve people, they can serve the children and maybe youth, but uh, they were not very prominent in, uh, role, in you know leadership roles, quote unquote, in the church growing up. And really like, it doesn't isn't just in the church. It's kind of seen throughout society, really. And you know, in the eighties and nineties, I think that you can see this idea of you know gender equality and all that, and, and the gender roles changing. But I wasn't really like very attuned to that um, until really the last several years. But um, you know, just I just grew up very very much saying, "Mom's cooked dinner and you know had dinner ready and." when dad got home and took care to the kids to school and to soccer practice and all that kind of stuff. And that was kind of what their role is. And that was quote unquote natural. And that was just the way that it's, it's supposed to be. Um, but which is bullshit. There you go. <laughs> so now right. we know Becca's, uh, view on that, <laughs> but you kind of had a similar, did you have, I mean, your upbringing was a little bit was similar, would you say, or how would you say growing up you were taught Oh, I was, yes, I was very, I was, I was taught very similarly to that, to where, uh, women's responsibility was the home and they were homemakers. But in the end, at the end of the day, the father is the head of the household. He's the, the faith 
head. He's he uh, the, the 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 faith leader leader in finances. All these things. The and so the woman is supposed to uh, sort of defer to him, even though like oh of course he should they should make decisions together. It's 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 this weird contradiction contradictory sort of thing where. I I heard things like oh well the parents make decisions together they they are partners blah 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 but at the same time there was this um, at least what was being taught me was that men are the ultimate decision makers they lead their families in the way they should go that sort of thing we get told as kids I feel like a lot of times especially in conservative churches that um, there is very defined gender roles and spe- and even more specifically in marriage there's very defined uh ways marriages should work but it's it's always more messy uh yeah. there's it's never clear cut the man has ultimate authority and the woman is always submissive even in strict like complementarian marriages there's even like a pushback which is it's almost like toxic how you get People like, oh, well, I'll trick him into doing this or the the dad's the head, but I'm the neck and I can turn him any way I want, which is kind of weird. It, it, it creates this weird power struggle that's passive aggressive and not great mm-hmm. um, in a lot of marriages. And we get told that that marriage is a partnership, that the husband and wife um make decisions together at the same time being told that the ultimate authority is the man. It's this weird, like cognitive dissonance that you learn to deal with pretty early on. Um, but it always, you know, it still kind of always struck me as weird. And I saw so many marriages in the church, um, in family members who it just did not work that way. The man was not, the head of the household he was certainly an active participant in the marriage and the family but in some in some cases the wife was better at leading was better at teaching at disciplining um and in some instances the dads didn't really show up or do much of anything the the thing is not all men are leaders and that's okay that's perfectly all right not every marriage is going to have the same dynamics or work the same and because everyone is different. The gender binary to me is a social construct. What we think of as male or feminine qualities changes over time, over societies. It, it, it's, it's, it changes all the time. Um, what we think of masculine and feminine, like jobs, colors, clothing, it, it's all super subjective and super dependent on social norms. Um, I think that masculine and feminine traits, what we think of masculine and feminine traits, they don't exist to me. We have, I just see traits that we sort of train men to have or Hmm. train people we identify at birth as man to have. And we have traits that we train people who we identify as female at birth to have. We socialize them in these ways to raise them to be this very narrow sort of representation of what being a man and what being a woman is like. Right. But in reality, there are there are just basic human traits that appear in some people and appear and don't appear in others. And I think we should really be fostering 
people's natural personalities rather than trying to force them into certain roles or yeah. certain um, stereotypes. And you see it everywhere. You see it with the types of toys we give to children. You see it with the type of clothing or the, the words, the things that they write on children's clothing. It's those sayings, like even, even that is very enforcing of, of the gender binary and, and, and including also heteronormativity. And yeah, so we just do a lot of work early on to create these stereotypes in children which don't necessarily actually work or play out when they grow up. Yeah. So you so you would say a lot of that is cultural influence, not quote unquote the natural order of Absolutely, things. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. So so what the, then to people who what would you say to someone who would counter and say, Well, this is the way it's always been. Male characteristics have been this and female characteristics have been that. Therefore, that's the natural order and all this that you're saying is just trying to upset the natural order and sending us into something chaotic or something maybe even immoral, some people may say. Yeah, for sure. I've, I've, I've definitely heard that before. Yeah. Um, it's not true. <laughs> there, there are examples of history of, of, of gender non-conforming, so to speak, individuals who did things that were not considered that aligning with the agenda that they were assigned at birth. And I'm not just talking about trans individuals, uh, although that certainly would apply to trans individuals. I'm talking also about people who, uh, women who were leaders, uh, very strong leaders, very vicious, ruthless, capable leaders and warriors and women Mm -hmm. who uh, fought and led armies and did all these things. There are, there are examples throughout history uh, of these women, even though historians have actively, so History is written by the victors. We mm-hmm. all know that. Yeah. Uh, the biggest victor over time has been patriarchy, and specifically white heteronormative patriarchy. So the way we view history now, the way the history books you've read, the very basic ones that you're reading in school oftentimes are written through that very narrow lens of white cis men from, a, from the Western world. And the very few examples we have not very few. The examples we have of women leaders, warriors, doctors, scientists, all the all the fields that we've been told or still to this day persist as being quote-unquote male fields, there are so many more that we don't know about. There are so many more that have been buried or mm. forgotten or erased. And right. it just kills me because I just would love to know more about all these women who really were amazing, but that we'll never know about. That being said, there are some really great resources to to learn about historical women. And one I'll throw out there is there's this guy, I think his name is Jason Parath. He has a website called Rejected Princesses. And I know this, that sounds sort of weird, but really what it is, it's it's it looks at women throughout history who sort of bucked the trend. People who wouldn't get a Disney princess movie, so to speak, hmm. yeah. is kind of the concept of it. Okay. I really like I, I've, I've got his book. I think he's got another one coming out soon. Yeah, Jason Perath. Um, and, it, and, and, and so there's if you go on the website, there's like just so many really cool stories about women who exercise their own agency and were and made things happen, whether it was for 
themselves, their families, their countries. Uh, it's just it that particular that project in particular is very close to my heart, and I love it. Cool. All right. Well, you you said a very important word in this discussion, and that is patriarchy. Um, <laughs> it's not that important. Well, it, so I, I feel don't. Like, I'm just sorry. That well, was, that, to, I was being glib to this uh, this discussion of of gender equality and things like that. I think understanding what is meant by patriarchy is important. So, how would you define that, and how does it play out in the world right now? Oh, well, that's a very big question. In a, in a <laughs> concise way. Oh, good. Good gravy. Okay, so patriarchy is a power structure that values, that elevates men over women or women and non-binary people. It's when basically you have the idea that men are in charge, they should be in charge, they've always been in charge. Male traits are considered more valuable male power more potent there's often an idea of men being more uh logical smart that kind of thing is often baked into patriarchal power structures and how it plays out today is that you have um the vast majority of elected officials in this country are male we've never had a woman president the top 100 churches in America, the the 10, 100 largest churches, one of them has a female leader. Hmm. So you have, on the flip side, what that also does is it tells men who have quote-unquote feminine qualities, who are nurturing, who are kind, who are maybe more soft-spoken, mild, that they are wrong, and they're broken, and they're weak, and they're, that, that that's not how men should be. Another term that relates to this is uh, toxic masculinity. Uh, toxic masculinity is sort of how we look at the effects, the negative effects of patriarchy, which is most of the effects of patriarchy. The effects of patriarchy are negative on not only women who um, don't get equal representation, equal. Um, they're not valued equally. They're not paid equally. They're not um, given equal opportunity, and. It also looks at the negative effects of patriarchy, though, on men. Like how I was saying with where men who do not fit that very narrow, stereotypical version of masculinity are ridiculed or uh, punished or made to feel inferior or wrong when that's simply not the case. When, when really what they have is they have traits, traits that both men and women have that nobody should be punished for being quote unquote feminine. Mm. Or women shouldn't be punished for being masculine, having confidence, or being blunt, or being powerful or in charge. All these things that are, that when women possess those traits that people consider more masculine, they are often labeled bossy or being a bitch. Bitch. Yeah. Right. Exactly. When, if it was a man doing it, you'd be like, oh, look at him. He's so confident. He's such a great leader. He has swagger. Yeah. Like that. Exactly. Right. He, he, he knows what he wants. He's a go-getter. He goes and gets what he wants. But at the very same time, women are actively punished for having those traits hmm. and they don't make it as far in their careers. They don't get as many opportunities. They have to work twice as hard or many times as hard to be taken as seriously in their fields hmm. as men do when men just sometimes I'll just have to kind of show up. Hmm. So you used uh, another term 
their feminist or feminism. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the word commonly described to that. Um, how would you define that? How would you define feminism? Feminism? Yes. Feminism for me means uh, the belief that women should have equal standing in society as men. That they should be treated the same. That they should be given the same uh, rights, responsibilities, power, equality. Mm-hmm. Which for a long time when I was growing up I thought was already a thing. Yeah. But it took some things to get me to realize that, oh, feminism didn't end when women got the right to vote. Right. And that may sound very obvious and very sort of, well, no shit. But it wasn't obvious to me at the time. Yeah. So then, okay. When did you, would you say was the, when you first started feeling passionate about the topic or when did you feel like, wait a minute, you mean you just hit on it. You, you used to think, oh, well, yeah, they got the right to vote. Now everything's good. Like, when was the first time you could remember being like, I think there's a little bit more to this that I'm missing? Well, it's hard to say because all throughout my life, I've noticed the things like women not being taken as seriously, women not being given leadership roles, even when I did believe that, oh, men should be naturally the head of things. It did bother me that I saw capable women being ignored or condescended to or patronized. And not being taken seriously and not being able to have as much power as men, men who were mediocre that were much worse than them in, mm. in some respects. And I noticed things that, that were different about how we talked to uh, boys and girls. I was a pretty much a tomboy when I was growing up. I, you wouldn't know it now, but I was really into sports. <laughs> you love sports now. <laughs> uh, not so much. Um, <laughs> but I used to play football in the park with with some other kids but the older i got the more people were like oh you shouldn't do that and eventually we had to stop doing it because our parents were like no you can't do that anymore i used you know i was very active i i liked very nerdy things i was very into science fiction and fantasy and those are well especially when i was younger they were very male dominated Mm -hmm. hobbies even though there were the female fans were there. They just, you know, we did it more quietly or, you know, more to ourselves because entering into public nerd spaces, it was difficult and it, you would be met with a certain kind of response that you didn't necessarily want to hmm. deal with, especially being a child. <laughs> you yeah. didn't want to deal with that. Uh, so I started noticing those things, but it didn't, I didn't necessarily make the connection to where this was a thing that feminism could solve or a problem or, or the fact that patriarchy is so oppressive. I didn't start thinking about that until college, I guess, and not even really until a couple of years into college. Um, I sort of struggled finding my way in college. So I went to, yeah, I know who, you, you, who you, hasn't, you don't, right? you, you know all about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I I went to community college for a few years and then I left because I, I had no idea. I thought that once I went and started taking classes, a, a like a picture would form and I would be able to be like, oh, yeah, that's what I be want. This path that would open. Like, oh, yeah, yeah of because I'd heard other people say that that's what happened to them. Right. But it didn't happen to me. Uh, so I left. I left community college. I didn't get my degree at that time. I went back and got it later. But I, I was very privileged and... Um, to be able to go to uh, Labrie in England. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of Labrie at all. I don't know if we've talked about it. Um, But just for the sake of your listeners, um, 
there's a famous theologian, uh, his name is Francis Schaeffer, and he and his wife founded this place called Labrie, originally in Switzerland, I'm pretty sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, Somewhere in Europe. Somewhere in Europe, oh yeah. gosh. <laughs> in the mountains. Okay. Um, and the whole idea of the place was to be a place where people could come and experience, uh, and um, sort of ask questions about about anything really, but but about faith and religion and God and how they fit into hmm. that whole thing and where they fit into the world at large. Yeah. And so everyone comes to Libri with a different question. Hmm. And often the question you leave with is not the question you had when you started. Yeah. So I went to Libri to sort of figure out what I wanted to do, where I should go next, like, and what my future would look like. That's not really what I ended up <laughs> studying at Libri at all. I started, I studied a lot about anger, hmm. a lot about forgiveness, uh, and also a lot about feminism. Um, even though a lot of the, a lot, well, a number of the staff at Libri, I would say, are not feminists. And my advisor in particular was not a feminist. Um, I did a lot of studying on my own in regards to that, <laughs> in addition mm -hmm. to the studying which she suggested to me. Um, and I'm, I'm very grateful for her guidance. She was a very wise woman. I learned mm -hmm. a lot about myself and about things. So basically what happens is you go to your advisor, you say, this is my question. They say, okay, go to the library, read these books, listen to these lectures. And there's a lecture library at Liberty England that uh, it's, it's like hundreds or thousands of, of cassette tapes. And so you go and you find the cassette tape, you take it and go down to this little cassette tape player and you sit Jeez. there and you listen to the, and you listen to the lecture and the Boy. lectures are recorded from, there's, there's a number, there's a number of library sites now. There's, um, because I, I went to the one that was in England, I think I mentioned. Um, but basically people once a week give a lecture mm -hmm. at library, one of the staff members usually, and then they record it and then these all go into this library and you can basically listen to a bunch of different lectures from over the years, from, from all the way back to Francis Schaeffer's days. Hmm. Um, and the lecture that I started, that I listened to that, um, got me sort of thinking about feminism was a one by, uh, Marty Keyes. And Marty Keyes is one of the founders of the Southboro, Massachusetts, um, mm -hmm. library. I think she's still there. Um, although I've never been there myself, so I, I don't know. Um, and it was entitled, I believe, Feminism in the Bible. Hmm. And I was interested in it because I'm, at that time, I was very politically minded. I, well, I guess I'm still sort of politically minded. I guess I'm differently politically minded. Um, mm -hmm. But I was very interested in how, uh, what basically what effect legislative and um, judicial process what that effect it had on society and how the laws reflected morals and um uh so i was very interested in like social issues with um with different schools of thought and um i had heard most most of my life from a christian's perspective is that feminism is bad that it leads you away from god that it leads you towards sex homosexuality mm. degeneracy that sort of right. thing man-hating <laughs> right so as someone who I would, I would have considered at my, at that time, I would have considered myself someone who was 
not only not a feminist, but probably anti-feminist. Okay. Because to me, feminism, what feminism wanted now was to undo the power balance of the natural order of society and change things to where they were on top, which is not accurate. That's not how feminism works. Um, But (laughs) that's what I thought at the time. So I listened to this lecture on feminism in the Bible because I thought it was going to be more of a how feminism is better than the Bible (laughs) or like how the Bible disproves the need for feminism. But that's not what it was at all. Hmm. It was it was showing how different these different things in the Bible that actually support feminism, where feminism is actually a is a something that we can find support for in the Bible that Christians should be feminists. And it was it was sort of mind-blowing to me at the time. And I started reading more about it, and that sort of became a secondary focus personally for me. And I just continued after that, after I even after I got home, reading about it and also reading, like, not only biblical feminists, but, like, secular feminists and, mm-hmm. you know, all these different... Because there's so many different... There's different waves of feminism. There's different uh, schools of thought. Right. Uh, there's just a lot to read, <laughs> so... Yeah. Well, yeah, well, so you make a, you bring up kind of a place I want to go to, which is female leadership or female roles within the church. And and I should preface that with, you know, we're both not pastors. We're not, we wouldn't call ourselves theologians. I think we're both students of, (laughs) of the Bible, a student of the church. I think we're still able to, to discuss it and talk about it and see how we feel about it. Um, So one of the questions I had was uh, in the church as a whole, uh, what roles would you say you see women in right now? In I'd say in the American church. Well, I see them. Well, now at this at this moment, I I am a part of a community where I see female pastors, where I see female deacons, elders, worship leaders. I see them all over. But when I was growing up, uh, what I was seeing and what I still see in the in the churches like my that my parents go to. And the and the and the church that I the churches I've gone to when I was younger they they're still the same, right. where women are uh, you can have women worship leaders but still people get a little antsy about that. Right. Um, but you can have women in charge of women's ministry and basically children's ministry and hospitality, um, and that's more or less it. Um, those are the approved roles um, that that yeah. uh, in in a lot of churches that you can. Be in as a woman. Yeah. Well, so why do you think that is? Why do you think it's those specific roles? Because those. I mean, are, I get the women's ministry one, but because those are the roles that it's been explained to me, or how people have told me is that women cannot be above man in leadership. Mm-hmm. So what? Where does that leave you? That leads you um, with children because women are over children anyway because they're in, they're um, the homemakers. They take care of right. children. That's their role. So it mm-hmm. it makes quote-unquote sense that that they would be able to be over a ministry where that was the case right women's ministry obviously uh women's ministry over women and hospitality is an extension of being a homemaker i feel like yeah um but you can't have and but here's the thing with the the being worship leaders um that's a that's serving so you're you're technically serving other people but you're also leading them in worship so it's like this dichotomy of where it makes some people uneasy to have a woman leading worship because she's leading from the front she's leading on stage over quote-unquote men Mm -hmm. and having a woman in a prominent position of leadership like that even though it's not necessarily even though it's not necessarily doctrinal or giving a message making us 
statement, even though mm-hmm. you can definitely argue that music makes statements. Right. Um, even that role, which you do see women in, I think more often in the mainstream evangelical church uh, sort of tradition in which I was raised, that does make people uncomfortable. And they yeah. and and I I've seen some pushback against female um, worship leaders as a result because that's seen as a leadership role that's not by some it's seen as a leadership role that's not something that they can technically have right and so then you know where do we where do you think that comes from like why is it set up that way well because i think it's kind of an easy question to ask people well the answer that like you'll get is that that's how it is in the bible right in the bible you have the 12 disciples they're all men right uh you have all these the kings they were all men blah 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 well, if you take a look at that, though, it, it doesn't really hold up because at one point in um, Israel's history, all the way going back to the Old Testament, uh, we had a uh, female judge, Deborah. Right. She was the spiritual and she was the leader of the government and the church uh, right. in, a, in a time where women were rarely either. She led the entire nation in the most, in the highest office in the land. So that So that role was basically like the president and the pope combined into one Yeah, pretty much. one nation. Yeah. one role. And and then you have this concept of quote unquote the 12 disciples being like the ones is sort of something we introduced later when really Jesus had a ton of followers mm-hmm. who followed him around a lot. You also see Mary Magdalene, uh yeah. Martha and Mary and the these women who who followed him the same as the men did. Right. But we really diminished their role. Uh, even when a woman was the first one to bring the good news of Jesus being raised from the dead, he, she was the first one to preach the good news. But at the same time, we say women, a lot of people, so you do hear people say women can't be preachers. They're not qualified. Yeah. Um, and then you have disciples and teachers like Junia, who, and, and this is super contentious, the translation for the word disciple in Junia's case has been changed from being a disciple, from being a teacher to being a good woman. Hmm. And when in other places it's been, it's been just disciple in, 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 in cases of when it applies to men, but Junia's role has also greatly been diminished or people being like, Oh, well she it probably wasn't even a man. It was a woman. It's, it's a very hotly contested topic. Yeah. Uh, in the church at large, and uh, also in my own household. Yeah, I've heard the Junia um, debate, and I think some some people in what you said will have the problem with that it's been changed, unless they're like, "Well, you don't know that that you don't know that it's been changed that way." And the response for me to there is it, with that is then okay, then go back to the original language, go back to the Greek, look it up, and you'll see that there was a feminine name of Junia that I've heard they've had to. That some people will call it Junius, which makes it a man. Yeah, name. that's masculine. But when you look at the actual original languages, you get Junia, which uh, is a was a female name, and you get the word disciple, um, meaning. Or, and I think one of the translations I read, which is a more literal translation, is uh, as apostle, and she was called great among the apostles. Yeah, which means that she was an apostle, which is something you don't really hear a lot, and kind of. Somewhere I, I I'd like to go next is the the or I like to go is is talking about the Bible and talking about 
you know, those verses, um, I was, while you were talking, I was looking up a couple um, that I think have led to this kind of thing. You know, for, I, I would also like right. to preface by saying that I, I'm not an expert. I just right. read experts. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I'm not either. I'm, I'm rehashing things that I've heard um, and that just makes sense. It's like, oh, yeah, you want to know what it said? Go back to the origins. Don't rely on years and years and years of translation. So just a couple, just quick verses. I mean, the one of the biggest ones is First Timothy 2. 11 and 12, which says a woman, a woman should lead in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. She must be silent. And you have 1 Corinthians 14, 33 to 35. As in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they were to inquire about something, they should ask their own husband at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. So, so right off the bat... You have people that will say, look, it's right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, Paul said it, and that means, and it's right there in plain English, that... Plain English. It's wow, right there that, in plain what a, English. What a, what a phrase, plain right. English. It's right there in plain English, therefore, that's how we have to live. Mm. So what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I, my thoughts on that are that, as with many verses, in, especially in the letters... Paul's letters to the churches, we examine those without any historical context, without any like looking at what was going on at the time. Why? Because he he was writing to these churches who were dealing with specific issues. He he wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily writing these to all the churches ever throughout 2000 years later in America. Exactly. Yeah. And in some of those, I can't remember which one it was. There's uh, a specific instance, and one of those where uh, the women keeping quiet one, where is, is where women were disrupting church services because the pagan, quote unquote, the pagan traditions they were coming from, religious services were very disruptive, and people would um, call out and yell and right. try to make themselves center themselves in the discussion in in the in the in the church service when that wasn't really conducive to learning right in this instance it was not they were trying to they were bringing over what they knew of religion to following Jesus and it wasn't necessarily it wasn't really a good melding in this instance yeah there's and there's there's a number of instances like that where those verses have been wildly misinterpreted to well, to mean something that they did did not even mean back then. Right. And and that, that hits on a much bigger conversation that we talk about a little... We're going to talk about a lot in these podcast episodes um, in, in my shift away from biblical literalism, which is kind of what we're talking about here, where when I said, oh, it's right there in plain English, that's what you would call a literalist interpretation of Bible verses, where you take what it says at at the surface and you apply it across time into our space and say, this is how it was then, this is how it is now. And it, it leaves that huge gap and says that that, that, that gap in time is, is, doesn't really matter. That it says it here, that means it applies now. And that's something that I had to reject and get away from. Um, what Becca was getting at a little bit there is, in a place like, uh, the, like the verse in Corinthians, uh, the, the city of Corinth in ancient Greece, we had pagan temples, I think the prophet, or the pagan, uh, or the god Diana, who they would worship, who um, the women were the priests, and the women 
would often, part of their rituals was to prostitute themselves to the people. And they would dress up in gold and in jewelry and in great outfits in order to have those rituals. And somewhere else within the verse, these verses, you'll see Paul come out and say, do not adorn your hair with gold. Don't do this. Don't do that. And people will actually say, oh, that means that we can't wear jewelry to church or we can't do this. And it's like it's ignoring the history and the context of the time and the era when people were doing that. And Paul was basically saying, you don't have to do that. That was done for a pagan tradition. And he wasn't saying it to be as a prohibition, as like this is a law. There was a bigger reason for it. And it was getting away from those old pagan beliefs. It wasn't that gold in hair was was inherently evil. It was the ideas and the rituals that they were doing were not what needed to happen in the the church and the Christian church that was being formed. So to me, in order to get to the place where you believe that women shouldn't be allowed to, you have to take a very, very literalist approach. And if you're going to take that with those verses, you also have to take it with Paul's other verses. And if you do that, you have a contradiction. So I'm saying it here, look out. I'm saying the Bible contradicts itself if you have to go literalist all the time. And I have proof right now. You, you look like you want to say something? No, I'm just... I'm just, You're just waiting for me to burst into flames? No, I'm just, I, I mean, I've, I've studied contradictions myself, so I'm, 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 I'm wondering which one you're going to bring up. Well. So Paul makes a proclamation of equality um, in Galatians, which is a, a letter he wrote to the church in Galatia. That was a very common theme of Paul's writing. He would write to different churches that he either started or had a very uh, big role in to address issues within the church. And in Galatians 3, 26 through 29, he says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and his heirs according to the promise. So to me, if you I love read, that verse so much, I just want to say it's, that it's a, it's a wonderful verse, and it's a proclamation. It literally is a proclamation of equality. So, to me, if you are going to take those literal words where it says women are to be silent within the church, and then you go further and read into Galatians where he says, in God's eyes, male and female, slave or free, Jew or Greek, doesn't matter. Like we are all one in God's eyes. Now you have a contradiction, and people have a hard time reconciling that. And in my opinion, the only way to make sure that this is to, the only way to explain the contradiction is by examining the history and the culture and understanding that here, Paul was talking about very specific situations within very specific churches, not making a blanket statement for the church through all time. If you look at it through that lens, then you'll understand that these verses can exist within the same writer and can also have a proclamation of equality because Paul was constantly talking up the, the women in his church. Junia was an example of that, um, where he, she was called the great among the apostles. He would say things like your men and women will dream dreams and prophesy. Mm-hmm. He was co- constantly saying things like that all the time. So if he's saying that in one verse and then telling women to be silent in another verse, that's a blatant contradiction and there has to be an explanation for it. In my opinion, it's the history and the cultural understanding of those Bible verse readings. To me, it works all together and makes a whole lot more sense and took me a while to get to, but that's my thoughts on the idea. And I know it's not perfect. Again, we're not theologians, but that's the place where I'm at with those Bible verses. And I think if we just would, if the church in America, the church in general in the world 
stopped fighting at half strength. I say this all the time. I feel like we are out there trying to do God's work with one hand tied behind our back. And that is the women that have fresh ideas, amazing skills, and are great in many, many different ways that we are weak in. If we could, if we were playing at full strength, I would, I can guarantee you the church would look very different. Well, it's not even be more effective. Well, it's not so. even that we're not playing at full strength. It's that also the majority of people who come to church are women. You're not even. It's not even fifty percent that you're that you're dealing. You're not dealing with. 50, you're not even tapping into fifty percent of your talent pool because you're not because we do not see equal attendance between men and women. Women are the ones who show up to church. They're the ones who, if they're married, uh, frequently bring men to church if, 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 um, they weren't attending already, they are the ones who serve most frequently. Really, you're, not only are you not utilizing the talent and people with callings that you have in your congregation, you're disrespecting the women who for generations have come and, been the backbone of the church hmm. and who the who continue to be uh, sidelined to this day. Something that I hear or have heard more than once is that church has been feminized and that it doesn't cater to men and that's why men don't go to church. But if that's the case, why like Y'all are the ones with the with the power. You you you're the ones who are the el- on the elder boards. You're the ones who are the pastors, the, the 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 leading pastors, the teaching pastors. If church is too quote unquote girly for you, why don't you change it? You're the ones who can change things. Hmm. How do you want to make church more masculine? Do you want to do do only do um, church on the side of a mountain while you while you fire shotguns into the air and then have bacon <laughs> for communion? Like what the what is quote unquote unmasculine about church right and to be honest i do see how the uh, christian tradition is feminine there's a lot of talk of submitting yourself which we think of frequently as being a feminine act there's a a lot of talk about serving others about denying yourself about uh, nurturing loving forgiving having mercy these are all very feminine things uh, maybe your problem with Christianity isn't that it has been made feminine in practice by modern times. Maybe your problem with Christianity it is that is that it is inherently a feminine religion. Hmm. The ideals that we that are espoused in it, that the virtues, these are f- things that have been labeled feminine by our society. So maybe this rebellion, this sort of pushback against feminism in the church is, is a recognizing, oh, oh, this is how the church actually is. Uh, mm. And this is how Jesus taught us. And this is all these things that I, I, I thought were, all these things are not actually supported by the religion that I'm follow, claiming to follow at the very least. Mm. Okay. So I'm sure there are people out there um, who, you know, are kind of on the fence with this whole thing. One thing that I've seen in on Facebook and maybe amongst my family, who knows, not to call them out, are a lot of misconceptions about what feminism is. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times you see people who are traditionally very, very conservative being like, oh, well, they just want women to be exalted over men and men just need to be yeah, put sure. down as their slaves or their, you know, they have very extreme language where they feel like, 
women are the quote feminist people are just out there trying to make more money than men and are trying to do this and like mm-hmm. upend society to where now women are involved in everything yeah, and not necessarily men. To have a matriarchy men. as opposed right, to matriarchy. Right. Yes. And I feel like that is a pretty common misconception. I know that I had that misconception. So what do you think are some other common misconceptions and how you kind of talk about those with people? Common misconceptions would be definitely that women hate men. Uh, not women hate men. Feminists hate men. Um, that we blame all men for the actions of a few. That... We think men are bad and evil, um, which isn't the case at all. Feminists don't want women to be over men. We want everyone to be equal. That's in the definition. It's also in the practice. <laughs> it's also what I've seen, not only like in, you know, just in dictionary definitions, but in the ways that I've seen feminism and people advocate for feminism. It's been for equality. It's been for equal respect, standing, that sort of thing between right. men and women. Mm-hmm. As for hating men, no. Uh, I don't hate men because I point out the ways that men oppress and hurt women. That's not what hate is. Right. Now, I understand that having power challenged can seem like revolution yeah. automatically and also seem like hate, but it, that's not the case. Disturbing the status quo can seem like violence. Right. Um, but the status quo is violence. Hmm. It, it, it perpetuates violence against women, against uh, a lot of different people, against people of color, against uh, the disabled, against um, queer people. I, I can only speak for myself, but I don't hate men. I hate this system, which hurts both of us, which hurts both men and women and all people. It's not even about the hating part. It's about, it's about for me. It's about loving and it's about wanting better things yeah. for the people. Not only the people who are alive now, but the future people that they don't have yeah. to deal with this. Right. So yeah, and, and and it's it's all right out there, and feminists will say these things over and over again, but people. But people just won't listen or they won't, they'll, they'll hold on to that idea, you know, that, that, that they've got that idea sort of in the steel trap in their head that, that, that women, that feminists hate men, that, that they want women to be in power over men when, when that's just yeah. simply not the case. And, and they're not being told that by feminists, in my opinion. They're being told that by people who are anti-feminists. Right. And that's who they listen to instead of listening to the people who would actually tell them what they're what they believe in the first place. Yeah, I think I think we talked about it on Facebook Messenger a couple days ago. Uh, there's a quote I've been thinking about a lot about how anytime you are in a position of privilege and that privilege is being threatened, it feels like discrimination. Yeah, and if and it, it automatically it automatically makes you feel defensive to right. have the implication that you are in a part of a system that it was very difficult for me to first acknowledge like Oh, how bad racism really is. I mean, not not that racism still is. I mean, a lot of yeah. white people we like to think, oh, racism's over. Right. We did it. Yeah, congratulations. congratulations. You can vote now. We're good. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of the same thing. Yeah. Where the, where the right to vote fixed everything, and when it really did not, and right. it, it, it it's and racism is still a profoundly deep evil issue that we are dealing with in this country. Mm. And but at first, when I heard that, and I heard people talking about issues that people of color face, 
and that they're advocating for, I got very defensive because I was like, oh, well, I'm not racist. This is, I do not participate in, in racist activities or oppression of people of color, but by existing in this system, I participate and it's up to me to educate myself on the issues of, of not only racism, of ableism, of uh, bigotry against queer people, like all these things where I have to examine my place in this system and how I can not only be not racist, but anti-racist mm-hmm. and, and help dismantle these systems and listening to and and a big part of that is listening to people Hmm. it's listening to people activists and and people who are dealing with these issues and letting them lead basically following their lead Mm -hmm. and and uh knowing how to be a good ally so to speak i know it's a little bit of a cliche but that's okay (laughs) so then speaking about people that you know disagree because i mean you don't have to even walk out the front door before you encounter those people (laughs) so how do you approach those people that you disagree with when talking about these issues you know what what kind of questions do you ask how do you try to poke because you did that with me i mean it was you would ask me questions and i'd be like well i'd give you the the standard conservative answer and you wouldn't really accept that so like what how do you how do you approach those people do you approach those people you know, because I'm sure there's there's people out there who would be listening who are like, you know, I I feel like I don't know where I am on this issue. There's some people who be like, these two people are totally wrong and they're ridiculous. Um, you know, it's going to cover the broad spectrum, right? Yeah. So I guess maybe for those people, but also for those people who are on the fence, like how do you approach them? And what kind of questions would you ask them? Um, I don't talk to as many people about this as I used to, I don't think. Uh, I do still talk to people about it. It's still something I'm very passionate about and I post about on my own social media, mostly Twitter because I don't post on Facebook as nearly as much as I used to about contentious topics, especially. Right. But, um, it's very difficult to change. I can't change anyone's mind is something that I've come to sort of try and live out because there are people who you get into conversations with on Facebook in real life where you bring up something and they, it does not matter what you say, they will not absorb it. It will not change them in the slightest what you have to say. At least that that's what it feels like. And I run into that with a couple of people in my life. Um, number one being my dad, um, where we've had many discussions on this, where he, where he has told me before that I, that my beliefs are unbiblical that I am believing things that Christ would be, would condemn basically. Um, and it's really super difficult to have a conversation with someone who believes at your foundation that you are a heretic more or less. Mm. There's really with people like that, all you can do is keep on living your life in a way you believe and advocate, of course, in the public square, but you can't necessarily get bogged down in personal conversations with people who are never going to believe you. Yeah. Um, because that sort of change, I think is something that you've probably discovered. And it's certainly what I discovered is that it's that kind of changing of belief is very personal. Yeah. It's a very self-guided, well, of course you're listening to other people, but you're seeking th- these things out for yourself. Yeah. No one's going to come along and argue your way into being a feminist. 
uh, you're not going to see a bumper sticker and then be like, oh, well, obviously that right. completely changes my perspective yeah. on these very deep seated issues. Yeah. Um, so basically don't, my advice would be don't waste time on people who aren't, who aren't going to change. It, it's a, it's a waste of energy. You're, you don't owe anyone anything. Hmm. Google's a thing. If people yeah. are really curious, they can Google things. And I, I highly recommend being like, Hey, why don't I, I see that you've asked this question about, well, do feminists really hate men? Blah, blah, blah. Google, my friend, is a very powerful tool that you have access to, I right. would assume, because we're having this conversation on Facebook, probably. You don't owe anyone the the emotional labor of educating them. That being said, if you do come into a, a situation where you do believe the person is willing to, is actually asking questions in good faith and actually does want to know more, I would suggest being patient, being patient, being kind, because... Because I was once a very conservative, I considered myself a moderate with a right leaning. Mm -hmm. But just remember that there are many who have been in that place before you. And maybe you have even been in that place of, of ignorance and unintentional, even bigotry, but bigotry nonetheless. Mm -hmm. um, and actively participating in oppressive structures. Just keep in mind that that person is capable of change. Hmm. Um, so don't, you don't have to lay them out, completely eviscerate them for their problematic views. Mm -hmm. Just present the facts of the matter and, and just let them know, hey, this is how things are. This is why it's bad. This is what we can do to change it. Yeah. This is what we're working on, blah, 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 blah. That kind of thing is. So then what Because I know that if I treated myself, sorry. I'm sorry. Because I know that if I had been treated with the same amount of hate and vitriol that some people direct towards people who are asking questions, I would never have quote unquote switch sides. I would have never changed my views if that yeah. was the reaction I would have gotten when I was asking questions. So for those people who you would say are sitting on the fence, I mean, what kind of questions were you asking that helped you to change your view or give you more information? Um... I'm not even sure. I'm not. I'm not even sure that I was asking questions. Like I, I don't yeah. know how to. I wasn't. I didn't go out into this with like a list of questions. Yeah. I, mostly, what happened was I came home from Libri. I read a. I read a bunch of books about feminism in specifically in Christian contexts, but also something that was very instrumental in my changing my my, my views on many things was the website Tumblr, mm. <laughs> which is a blogging platform. And basically following a bunch of people on that website who held feminist views. who, yeah. And basically they would reblog content that contained feminist uh, theory. And I would read a lot that way. Not only feminist theory, but like a feminist perspective on this uh, current event or that uh, piece of art or this movie or something like that. Right. All which helped sort of shape and grow my understanding of mm. what feminism was, what its objectives were. Yeah. Um, so I guess if I was to put it in questions, I would I would say um, my questions were, what is feminism? What is which is a very obviously basic one. What are some things that you know maybe the modern feminist movement is working to achieve, or what are the current issues 
that feminism is dealing with, like that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think for me, the questions I was trying to, I was looking at is, you know, like you said, what is, what is feminism? What does that really mean? What are they out to achieve? Because again, I was on the side of women are trying to push, push men down and they're trying to make it so that, you know, women are the only um, people in power, things like that. A lot of those extreme views that, you know, you see on Facebook and Twitter and that is just, you know, fear-based stuff. And I had to kind of look into that. Okay. And then for me as a, as, you know, as a Christian, it was, well, the Bible quote clearly says this. So uh, how are there people out there claiming that it doesn't? What, how are they, how aren't they reading the same Bible I'm reading? So how, is that possible that people can be ignoring Bible verses? And when you look into it, as we talked about earlier, you can see that there are varying interpretations of those texts to me that make more sense. And it really answered a lot of the questions I had. Because at the end of the day, I would look around our church and I'd be like, I mean, you know, so-and-so is really organized. Or this person's a really good speaker. Or this woman is really good at this. And yet they're not considered for roles as elders or as leaders or as pastors. And it felt weird to me. It was just like, well, they have all these great skills that I don't have, but I have more qualifications because of my body parts. And it just didn't really make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, to basically me. if you're if you're looking to learn about feminism for the first time, just realize that you're gonna be stepping into a conversation that's been happening for hundreds of years. Right. Um and that has changed quite a bit even just over the past couple decades. So yeah. just keep in like my first reaction when I approach any new subject is to sort of dive in head first, but silently right. <laughs> and just listen to what people are saying yeah, and sort of get a lay of the land and, and, and feel out the energy of the conversation before I say anything or before I start asking questions. That's sort of my go-to sort of yeah. way of doing things. Um, it doesn't work for everyone, I know. <laughs> well, so kind of wrap it up on here. What, who would you say are your favorite authors, thinkers, for anyone out there who's like, that sounds great, yeah, I'd like to learn more. Who would you recommend, or who oh, do you think really impacted you? Uh, gosh, so mostly who I'm thinking of right now are just mostly evangelical Christian, mm-hmm. or not, sorry, not evangelical, Christian, mostly what I'm thinking of at the off the top of my head, because that's how I sort of approach this conversation, is uh, Christian feminist mm-hmm. uh, women. Um, so in that case, that would be Rachel Held Evans, Sarah Bessie, uh, Austin Channing, mm-hmm. uh, Jacqueline Bussey, uh, Jen Hatmaker, just to name a few. Um, but there's also like a lot of really good... I, I've started to stop differentiating things between secular and Christian, okay. even though that is a, important. It's important to look at those things. Um, and it's important to look at different conversations happening in different contexts, of course, but Look at the quote-unquote secular feminist movement. Look at what the the broader conversation at large. Uh, I it, sorry, I'm hungry, so it's hard for me to think of people off the top of my head right now. Um, but I I know I just named off a bunch of uh, spiritual leaders and yeah and but also there's a lot of good non-spiritual people out there yeah sorry that's okay i'm failing no you're fine <laughs> i'm a bad feminist now no oh bad feminist oh yeah roxanne gay of course yes that's a that's also she's also very good she an author 
She is, yes. Okay. So Roxanne Gay. Okay, yeah, I've read books by uh, Sarah Bessie and um, Rachel Held Evans. And I've read Jesus Feminist, uh, Sarah Bessie, talk about her her transformation um, into a uh, more feminist Christian role. Um, and yeah, the, those ladies have been on podcasts and they've written a lot of uh, articles, but also um, books and things like that that are very, very helpful and are a great way to look at it from a religious side. However, it's still um, really applicable across the board. I mean, not necessarily just in religious things, um, but a lot of really good information from them in there, which is, uh, yeah, really easy to read too. Very, they're very, very good at what they do and they make it, they, it flows very, very well um, in their writings. So then I guess the last question would be, what would you like to see happen in 2018 when it comes to women's equality? That could be a big question. It is a very big question. But if you can come up in a kind of in a nice, neat way, what would you think needs to happen I, this year? This is an election year. Uh, not in a presidential election, unfortunately, but an election year. So I would say that I would love to see, I would love to see more women as elected officials. If I could focus on, if I had to focus on one specific thing this year, that would be it. Um, so more women senators, every, at every level of government, we could use more women. And this year's an election year. So go out and support your local um, progressive female candidates, uh, especially women of color. Like if we could get more women of color in, mm. into the government, that would be super great. So yeah, that would be the number one thing if I had to focus on put one thing at the top of my quote-unquote feminist agenda. Yeah. Okay. I think that's about it. Is there anything else uh, on your mind that you'd like to Oh, there's like a bunch. There's a bunch, but I'm too hungry to think about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. All right, that's it. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, I really, really enjoy talking with Becca about stuff and not just this issue, but all kinds. Um, really, really appreciate her friendship a lot. Um, and I appreciate all the listeners here. And uh, if you'd like to reach out to me uh, on Twitter, my handle is at EvolvingAdamPod. Uh, you can DM me or just tweet me and I'll get back to uh, you as soon as I can. Um, love to chat with you more there. We also have a Patreon page for people who are interested in supporting us. Uh, it's patreon.com slash evolvingadam. If you love it, please uh, subscribe. And if you'd like to support us, feel free to do so. It'll help us to make this a better pod and hopefully be more impactful to people. Again, thank you guys so much for listening and uh, hope to see you back next time. Thanks. My name is Adam and I'm evolving. And I hope that you're evolving too.